0: Dance is a part of us. Frustrated with your pain or injury? That sucks. But I'm here to help. Hi, my name is Denise DeShuttler and I'm a bodyworker and educator. Why is it so hard to find the care we need to feel better? Most of my clients have asked that question for years until we started working together. Now I'm gonna help you find those answers. I'll explore different health disciplines and chat with talented practitioners. We'll share our insights and practical advice to help you get the results you need to feel good again. Because seeking the right care for your health can be a pain in the arse. But with me, your wellness journey will turn into a fun-filled adventure. Buckle up, baby, for the Passionate Health Advocate Show. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for joining. I'm happy you're here. Today, we are going to a place that holds an environment of possibility. Let's buckle up. Welcome to the land of dance for Parkinson's. We are searching for David Leventhal. He is a program director and founding teacher of the Mark Morris Dance Group's Dance for PD program.
1: Is that you? Yes, that's me. Oh,
0: great. I'm so (laughs) glad we found you. How are you today?
1: I'm very well, Denise. How are you?
0: I am doing good, and I don't know if you know or my listeners know, but I love dance, and I love what you stand for, and I'm so happy for the invitation of coming to your land, and I want to hear more about it.
1: Well, thank you, and thank you for the invitation to, uh, to, to open our land to you and your audience. We're thrilled to be here and to share what we do.
0: Great. So why don't you tell me, how did you even get to this land
1: well, this land was actually brought to us, uh, in 2001, the Mark Morris dance group opened a new dance center in Brooklyn, New York. Before that time, the company was an itinerant company. We rehearsed in studios that we rented wherever we could. Um, but in 2001 we built our own home and we wanted that home to welcome people from all over the community, from all walks of life to come and experience the joys of dance and, and music. And, we didn't exactly know who was going to walk through those doors when we made that invitation, what we were just open to it. One of the people who came through those doors was a woman named Oli Westheimer and Oli ran a Parkinson's group, Parkinson's support group in Brooklyn. And Oli also had a dance background. So she had been thinking about ways that she could engage her Parkinson's group members in a deeper way, in a more interactive way than just talking about Parkinson's, which is what happened once a month at the support group. And when she read about the opening of the dance center, she said, aha, I think that they might be a good partner. And so she walked through the doors and she had a meeting with our executive director and pitched this idea which, Denise, at the time was basically like, like inviting someone to Mars. I mean, there was right. no research evidence on the impact of dance on Parkinson's. At that time, we were still emerging from an era where any kind of physical activity was counterindicated for people with Parkinson's. Medical professionals were much more comfortable in asking people to avoid exercise, to avoid right. anything that might cause a fall or, or cause any kind of danger. So we were only emerging out of that, and suddenly Oli comes forward with his idea of a dance class. Well, our uh, visionary support group leader, Oli, met our visionary executive director, Nancy Yumanov, and together this idea was, was executed. And Nancy said, we will offer studio space, and teaching artists and a musician and you only find the people. So we offered our, our very first class that, that I taught in October of 2001. So we're coming up on the 20th anniversary and I had no idea what I was doing. I, I did a lot of teaching to different members of different communities, but I'd never taught people with Parkinson's or people living with a movement disorder before, so it was. Eye-opening for me. Uh, I went in with the, uh, the mind of a dancer and a dance teacher. And actually that's exactly what Oli wanted because what we've experienced over the last 20 years is that everything that dancers think about in their training, in their rehearsal process, in their performance process is incredibly useful. Um, for people living with Parkinson's. It's it's a goldmine, actually. It's a goldmine of information and tools that people living with Parkinson's can harness in the service of moving better, living better, living with dignity, and living with creativity. And that's really how the program started with a kind of a naivete on our side in terms of Parkinson's. But actually, um, what that Created was a full-fledged artistic program for Parkinson's, as opposed to a, you know, a therapy program or a treatment program. I'm not saying that the program isn't therapeutic. We have more than forty studies that point to the specific benefits of dance for Parkinson's, but it's that the activity itself is focused around uh, training in an art form. And uh, experiencing dance as an art form, not as a therapy.
0: Oh man, that that is so beautiful. I love that story. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing it. I mean, what what a gift! uh, The fact that you all came together, and what an opportunity to just have this creative innovation for the betterment of you're like not even you know people that you were serving before, right? Knowing that how powerful dance is in so many levels.
1: Yeah, we didn't, even as dancers, we didn't know how powerful dance was. That's one of the gifts that has been given to us is the ability to see how truly transformative uh, and empowering the dance experience can be for people who are hungry for different ways of thinking about movement, Mm -hmm. different ways of thinking about their body and different ways of thinking about their community. So I think in many ways, we, we've learned as much, if not more, than the participants themselves. And that's, that's, I think, one of the things that's held this partnership together. And it truly is a partnership, Denise. From the very beginning of, of the first class, we wanted people to know that we were, this was very much a collaborative process mm-hmm. and that the curriculum that got developed was going to be built by the participants input as much as our own artistic background. So, you know, the first two years of classes, we would finish every class with a, with a feedback session because we really wanted to know what did people enjoy? What was beneficial? What didn't you like? What didn't feel good in your body? What should we change? And that sort of laboratory conversation helped us develop what became a slightly more codified approach teaching that we could then share through a training process with other teaching artists, which is what we've done and why the program has spread all over the world, because we were able to take all that information that was shared with us from our Parkinson's participants and uh, amplify it so that other teachers... Have a sense coming in and get to know much more than we did when we started.
0: Right, right. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. I love that you said. You know, it's therapeutic, but not that therapeutic focus. And uh, what I find a lot with dealing with, you know, a disorder, a disease, or any other health ailment, it's it's nice to get out of that mindset. Right. We get stuck in it and we're it's we need to be in it at some point, but there's other ways to approach it. And I I love that this is such a creative outlet and it's not so much focused on the actual disorder, but more of what they are able to do and and opening up those options. Oh, so cool.
1: That's exactly <laughs> right. So instead of a typical situation where we are focused on trying to deal with a problem or solve a problem. We start out with the the word opportunity or possibility, right? What possibilities are still available to you as someone living with Parkinson's? And then from that point, how can we as creative teaching artists open up as many possibilities as we can? So we don't mention Parkinson's in the class at all. Mm -hmm. And, we also view people in the class as dancers, as artists, as dance students. We do not view people as patients in that class. As soon as they walk into the dance center, they're dancers, dancers. just like everybody else in that building. Yeah, And and I think that works not just for us, but for them as well. You know, walking into a therapy program based in a clinic is one thing, Mm -hmm. but they're coming to a dance center that is filled with dancers of all ages and all stripes learning to dance. And they feel part of that community. And that already is like 30% of the transformation that happens, you know, know. when people come into the class, it's that the environment that they're in is an environment of possibility of opportunity to learn of opportunity to be creative because that's what everyone there is there to do.
0: Yes. And listeners, this is exactly why we came to the land of dance for Parkinson's, because we are all about possibilities and opportunities. And I just think this is so wonderful. So David, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, people like, okay, that makes sense. But can you kind of give us an idea of what that means for um, dance for Parkinson's? Like what would a class be like? What would a training be like?
1: Sure. So our classes are structured very much Along the lines of any dance class you've been in, there's a progressive warm up that gets all parts of the body moving and moving together and moving together with music. Yeah. Um, and over the course of that, we will highlight certain styles or certain elements that we want to focus on. I often will come in with a theme to kind of create a thread that people can use to support their imagination. And we use a lot of imagery in the class. So mm-hmm. if there's a theme, if there are a series of stories that need to be told, it really puts people in that mindset of telling a story, playing a role, being a character. Um, for example, you might focus on, on a particular piece like Romeo and Juliet and we might focus on specific scenes from that ballet using the music but we might also jump to something like West Side Story which is of course based on Romeo and Juliet um, and integrate some of the movements and music from that and what that does really is it surrounds individuals with a sense of quality of movement That is one of the things that we focus on throughout the class experience is how we're moving. Not just the what, not just what steps, what the steps are or which foot you're on. That's Mm -hmm. less important to us than the feeling of how you're moving. What is the quality of movement? Are you moving fluidly? Are you moving through water? Are you moving like a shark or a jet with sharp, jagged movements? And that really gives people a lot of material to hold on to Mm -hmm, as they're mm -hmm. trying to initiate movement. One of the challenges that people with Parkinson's have is movement initiation and movements uh, sort of sustained movement. Uh, And when we're working in telling a story, it brings us mentally into that situation, into that place and helps us focus our movements in a way that tell that story. So we're not so much focused on the mechanics of Mm -hmm. what's going on. We're really focused on focused on the expressive part of what's going on. And that seems to provide a detour around some of the physical challenges that people have. We have people who tell us, you know what? I can't, I can't do that outside of the studio, but somehow when I'm moving across the floor, Like a jet, I can travel with an even walking gait. I can travel with rhythm. I can travel and move my arms at the same time I'm moving my feet and I'm not even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're really trying to open up those pathways that are about uh, expression as a mode towards motor skill rather than the other way around. Sometimes the motor skill is harder to come by. I mean, things like walking, turning, going backwards, uh, standing on one leg, those are challenges. But if you situate them within choreography that tells a story, then you're focusing on the story and how best to tell that story, and the mechanical things kind of fall into place. Um, Or if they don't, there's still the opportunity to tell a story, and you can still be expressive, even if you're not moving your feet in the same way as other people, or even if you're seated and and participating in the class on a chair. So the progressive warm-up starts to develop into fuller dances, dances that tell a story, dances that work on a specific quality of movement or movement element. We always start our classes seated. So the first 25 to 30 minutes is actually in the chair. We do a full range of movements in the chair. And then for those who want to, we'll transition out of the chair, We'll do a little, a little bit of work holding on to either a ballet bar or a chair, the back of a chair, just to kind of acclimate to a standing position. Mm-hmm. And then again, for those who want to, they we will travel across the floor just as you would in any any dance class. Um, I think the difference is that there are ways to uh, to modify and adapt your experience along the way, and the teachers are trained to support you wherever you are in in those uh, different positions. So if you're staying seated for the whole class, there will be a teacher with you kind of guiding you through the seated versions of everything that's going on. Class is about an hour to an hour and a quarter. Uh, Our classes in New York, uh, until we moved everything online, we're using live music. So we had a musician in the room as well. And a lot of the classes uh, in our network around the world also use, use live music, but not all. Uh, and the, the other really important thing about our program is that we welcome care partners in as well, family members, friends, home health care aides who come with the participant um, to the class. Anyone who's in that person's circle is welcome to come and dance as well. And that creates this wonderful community where everybody is dancing together. And often, whether you're a, a loved one, a family member, a partner, a spouse, a health care professional, you're at, you're seeing that individual with Parkinson's in a very different light mm-hmm. than how you might see them in other areas of their life. This is this is a place where they're really at their best. They're engaged. They're lit up. They're yeah, expressing yeah. themselves through their bodies. They're they're having a great time, and a, a lot of couples tell us that that is that is a highlight of their week because it's something they get to do together that's enjoyable for both of them, and they get to see each other in a very different way.
0: Ugh. That is so beautiful. I was just thinking, wow, for someone dealing with Parkinson's, it's like, you're literally highlighting them. I I can imagine going through Parkinson's, you, you can't express yourself fully or at least the way you used to. So you're, and I can imagine the frustration with that. And then to come to dance with you and just be highlighted in the ability to express and to move in ways that you didn't think and then to have your loved ones witness that. And then your community witness that. It's just so welcoming and supportive. It's just, I mean, talk about your support group. It's just like brought the support group to a whole nother level. That's really beautiful.
1: Absolutely. And I think there are a lot of people out there who don't like support groups, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're not crazy Mm -hmm. about the, the idea of sitting and talking about something. Um, This is a way to, to benefit from that sense of mutual support, mm-hmm. but through a through a, a different kind of activity, a, a, an activity that has different meaning. and you know it's any kind of community art project or event has a way of creating really quick social bonds. If you've ever done community theater or worked on a community quilt, even yeah. for a day, you know, when you show up, you're immediately included and involved in a different way than if you're just sitting around a table from people. So I think we see that in the class, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, there's very much a sense of belonging mm-hmm. and a, sens- a sense of camaraderie among all the participants in the, in the group.
0: Wow, that's really wonderful. Well, it's no surprise that for almost 20 years now that you have it all over the world. So where... Where can people find these dance classes?
1: Dance for PD classes take place in dance organizations, community centers, senior centers, theaters, uh, medical centers, physical therapist offices all over the world. Uh, we're actually, uh, we have a network now of more than 300 communities in 25 countries. Wow. Um, what, what's enabled that to happen? Well, a few things. One I think is that training model I was talking about before, but the training model is really predicated on the idea that we are teaching an approach, a methodology, and a structure. We're not teaching a set curriculum. So yes, the class Yeah, the class in San Francisco is going to look very different in content than the class in Pune, India. Mm-hmm. in terms of content. here in San Francisco, they might be doing, you know, tap, modern, and ballet. Um, in, in Pune, they're doing uh, katak, which is a traditional classical Indian form, and maybe doing Bollywood across the floor, right? So yeah, yeah. the styles and the music are very different, but the structure is exactly the same. And that enables people, people from all walks of life, all different parts of the world to really understand what we're doing, but make it their own and make it culturally specific to who is in that class. And that's really important because if you're living with Parkinson's or any any challenge and you're coming into dance for the first time, you really want dance that's going to speak to your musical and cultural preferences. You don't want something that feels different or foreign or, or, you know, very distant from, from your own culture. And so that's, that's something that's really important. And it's something that we're very careful about in the training. When I went to, uh, to China a couple of years ago, we did our first workshop there I wanted to be very careful about the, the dance vocabulary I brought in and also the music I brought in because things like West Side Story are, are not very well known and don't right. really make sense in the context mm-hmm. of, of a community in, in Beijing. And so uh, I really was interested in the Chinese teaching artists introducing their uh, traditional and modern forms of dance and their music so that we could learn from them and we could think about how those um, – indigenous forms could be brought into the structure that we were sharing with them. So that's, that's really one thing that's enabled the program to grow. I think so organically. The other is that the Mark Morris dance group is a touring company. So a big part of our work is, is offering performances and education work on the road, wherever we're performing dance for PD has been part of that touring model for almost 18 years. So yeah. right away, really after starting the program, we wanted to bring it on the road with us and share it with as many communities as we could. And of course, what happened, Denise, is that people would say, well, I really love that class. When's the next one? And okay. say, well, we're not coming back for another couple of years, but let's see if we can find some local teaching artists who can learn from us and continue to offer this program. Um, and that's, uh, that's, that's really how the program has spread. Uh, we work a lot right now in bringing different partners together. So for example, we might get an inquiry from a dance company that reaches out and says, we really love this program. We want to do this program. And so what I'll do is connect them with a local Parkinson's organization or Parkinson's support group, and maybe a local neurologist who is in our network, who's someone, someone we met at a conference. And I say, the three of you get together, figure out a plan, let us know how we can support you. Um, Again, each of these programs is independently administered and funded. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't fund them, but we are we're kind of a, a you know a, a convener and a clearinghouse for training and information, and uh, we have a lot of resources that can support anyone who's interested in starting a program in their community. So that's really how that network started to grow and and to spread.
0: Wow. Well, that, I mean, yeah, you have this foundation now, I think after you figured out that model and the methodology is key, right? Methodology that can be adapted. It's like those principles that can adapt to any culture, any teacher training um, that can support any local person joining that community. That's just, that's really, really wonderful. And what a gift. I mean, this can just keep expanding. And I hope with this, you know, episode today, people listening, it's like, Oh, Maybe you haven't heard about this, but now you know there's so many opportunities to find this where you live. That's great.
1: Yeah. We try to keep our website up to date on all of the classes that are offered around the world. You can search by country and then for the U S by state. Um, Right now, a lot of those classes, including ours are offered online. So you can tune in wherever you are to many classes. They don't necessarily have to be in, in your community. We've, uh, since we went on online with our classes last March, we've had people from 38 countries coming in to take a, a class with us on zoom. And it's been, it's been amazing. You know, that's, that's sort know. of been like you know, <laughs> the, the boomerang that came back to us. Cause often we are, we are in the business of uh, helping classes get started. Once they get started, we don't always have interactions mm-hmm. with those local participants. We we of course support the teachers and the administrators, um, but what we found during COVID is a lot of those participants are coming in to our class as well as the local class in oh, wow. in Belgium or. The Netherlands or India, wherever they are, um, to to do another class. So it's it's been a great way to kind of meet people who are involved in our program and we haven't had a chance to meet before. Um, but I I do encourage you, and I think a lot of those programs will will stay online for a for a while. It's a great way for people who've never been to a class to try out the experience in a really safe way because you get to be mm-hmm. at home. You can kind of change your name, turn off your camera. You can be really anonymous if you want to be. Right. I right. think some people are nervous about going to a group class and uh, some people are also not public about their Parkinson's. So the group class idea is, is terrifying for them. We found that people come into our class and they can, they can be completely anonymous, participate and then leave without anyone knowing they are there. Um, and you know, obviously, we our preference is to see people and interact with them. But it has been an interesting, unexpected benefit of the online experience, and that is privacy. You know, the ability yeah. to just try it out without anyone looking at you, without any any kind of um, exposure, and just to just to see what it's like for you. And uh, usually, people come back and then they turn their cameras on. So that's that's a good sign. That means they felt welcome and safe.
0: Yeah, no, that's incredible. I mean, we're all going through the pandemic and we've all had some, you know, trials and tribulations and there are some interesting uh, benefits to this. And I think the opportunity for you to do a Zoom class... Yeah, yeah, probably reaching people that you never thought you could reach because that that initial step to go to a public class can be really daunting for people, whether you have Parkinson's or not. And so adding that layer, um, that could be very, very challenging. But then yeah, to just like kind of be in the background and explore the class uh virtually at their own home. Oh wow, you you're probably reaching so many more people now. That's really great.
1: We are, we have people in even in our New York classes who would come once a week. I mean, that was that was the maximum amount that they could manage to, you know, really just get organized, get out of the house, travel, which is not easy in mm-hmm. in New York. Um, it was a big effort, and people made that effort because the class meant so much to them. But once a week was about what they could manage. Now those folks are coming three to four times a week. Wow, they're coming almost every day because all they have to do is turn on a screen so although they're missing that element of you know touch and social interaction in person there are great benefits to an increased frequency of participation mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that i'm i'm fascinated in i mean i would love to to explore that more through some research because even though it's you know it's sort of 80% of the social benefit in terms of what you get in person I think in terms of physical engagement, it's, it's even more than, especially for those people who are only able to come once a week Right. and are now right. coming four times a week. So that's, there are some silver linings for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. It's the passionate health advocate dance break. Now get up and shake your thing. You know, you you said you had some research done. So I'm just curious because it sounds like you are only focused on, um, as far as repeat participants coming in, um, in your local New York classes. What have you seen over the years with this work? How How are you seeing it affecting people's lives outside of the dance classes?
1: That's a great question. It's something that we are really interested in investigating because, you know, over the, over time, people participating in our classes, we see them becoming better, more confident dancers. Mm -hmm. They learn material with more ease. Their rhythm is better. They're more fluid in their movements. They're more confident in trying things that are more challenging or more difficult. But we also want to know what happens when they leave the studio. How are they using these skills and applying them to their daily life? Uh, And the research has helped us see that, uh, there's been a lot of research on the motor benefits of Parkinson's, uh, or motor benefits of dance and Parkinson's, particularly things related to, uh, to walking speed, to balance, um, to functional mobility, which is a whole range of things, um, as well as the things like confidence and self-efficacy things that are more on the, the non-motor side, the quality of life side, uh, the socio socio emotional side of things. Um, and all together what we see is a picture that points to dance, helping the, the really tangible things like walking down the street with a more consistent tempo, uh, with giving people tools to control their balance with more ease. Um, to things like having the confidence to reach for something on a higher shelf, right? Mm-hmm. Which seems really small, but when you're living alone at home, that's a really important it, skill. It's,
0: it's small for some people, but enormous for others. So that's a big deal. Yeah. We had about
1: 70% of people reporting that, Because of the dance class, at least one activity of daily living was done with more ease, um, Mm -hmm. which is pretty significant. And uh, we also had uh, over 70% of people reporting that they use music more in their daily lives because of the dance experience. Now, that's really big because there's actually been quite a lot more research on music and Parkinson's than on dance. Um, and particularly on music's impact on the brain on coordination mm-hmm. on integrating different parts of the brain to work together that don't ordinarily work together or because of Parkinson's don't work well together right. so the fact that people are drawn to use music as a tool because of the dance experience is a is a huge benefit uh, and and so that's that's been important we um, you know it's it's really difficult to measure the 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 components of class that seem to work outside of the studio. But what we have looked at is primarily been around walking. Um, and we, we can say with, with good confidence that uh, regular participation in a dance class assists with walking speed and uh, stride length um, and consistency, which is a really important element for people with Parkinson's yes. who tend to have difficulty maintaining a steady walk and who can be prone to shuffle um, as a way of, of locomoting. So, um, again, these are preliminary studies. We we have to do the preliminary work in order to get support for bigger studies. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that research is uh, is is recent, and it points to something we think is really really critical to living well and and maintaining mobility with Parkinson's, which has a lot to do with the non motor side. Because if you're able to have more confidence getting around, if your walking is more consistent, you're more likely to go out. You're more more likely to go do things and and see people and be part of social communities outside of your home, than if you're nervous about walking and and not having the confidence um, to get out and, and locomote yourself around the world. So the other the other thing that is really important that we're seeing some preliminary results on is cognition. And dance's impact on things like executive function, which is something that does start to go away or be more challenging with Parkinson's is is Mm -hmm. the the ability to kind of coordinate different thought processes at the same time. Uh, We all have challenges with that, we all have challenges with multitasking, Mm -hmm. um, but in Parkinson's those challenges are exacerbated. So um, dance seems to, some research, newer research from Australia seems to point to the impact of dance on maintaining a higher level of executive function um, in, in people who take the class. So that's very promising, I think, for for everybody because cognitive skills are skills that you take with you wherever you go. If you're working on those skills in the studio, you're going to take those skills and you, your your brain has been working in that way. Um, and, and those, that skill building that happens in class could theoretically happen in other areas of your life as well. So I'm really excited about that, that aspect. Uh, finally, I think there's the social element. I mean, you know, we are living in, uh, an era even before the pandemic where there's a loneliness epidemic, right? We have an epidemic of loneliness in our, in our culture, uh, and there are many factors of that I'm not going to get into in this call, but, um, you know, one in one in five older adults uh, experiences some degree of social isolation. Um, and so the benefits of coming together, even if it's once a week, to be part of a community, those benefits are inc- incredibly important, and they actually support other aspects of health. I think a lot of people think that loneliness is like, it's a terrible thing, but it doesn't have any effect on other other things like, uh, you know, heart disease or mobility or or uh, dementia actually does. Mm-hmm. When you look it at does. some of the research, you know, that loneliness is a huge uh, factor in um, whether people are going to develop dementia, and whether people are going to develop uh, heart disease and whether people are going to live well or poorly with Parkinson's. So if we can address some of the Social uh, cohesion and social connection that is missing from people's lives in a dance class, that automatically spills out into their the rest of their lives. Even if the rest of the week they're not having a lot of social interaction, they are looking forward to being back together. In that group. And what often happens, Denise, is that people in the dance class get together outside of the dance class. Yes, they make friends with imagine. people. <laughs> yeah, they make friends in that group, but then they go out to lunch together after class mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they meet up to go see a movie at, at some other point during the week. So it, it has um, it has benefits that are that reach far beyond the actual class time.
0: Oh, gosh, that. That is really wonderful. And I think it's good that you're pointing out all the aspects of how it's helping. And I think, okay, one, your class could be good for anybody, not just someone with Parkinson's, um, because of that whole loneliness uh, topic that you were discussing, because community, quality of life, uh, the ability for self confidence to, to, you know, because I, I feel that I would imagine people with Parkinson's, there becomes a huge barrier, you know, there's a barrier for people that don't have, I guess, these. Uh, identified physical issues to prevent them. There's still the social issues. There's still, there's a lot of things that can be a barrier for not connecting with other people. And then you're not getting that stimulus. You're not getting the motivation to connect and express. So you don't really just express yourself to yourself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So all of those things is about living and being human. You know, it's like, what's like being, being human and being alive, the things that, that make us tick. And so, your dance class, it sounds like it does all of that. So yeah, that social, the mental, uh, intellectual, all, all of that coming together along with this disorder is just oh, so beautiful. It's really, really wonderful. I'm so happy you guys yes. are doing that. Thank you so much.
1: And you are too. I, mean, I think the other thing that you just touched on is this idea of lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when, when you are living with a chronic condition or when you're getting older, that's not the end of the learning opportunities. There right. are ways to, to learn throughout your life. I just um, did a class yesterday that focused on one of Mark Morris's signature works called L'Alegro, Il Penseroso el Moderato. It's an evening length work. And as the company is celebrating its 40th anniversary, we're trying to highlight some of the the jewels of the repertory. And, you know, it's such a pleasure to be able to share that because for our participants, Many of whom have taken dance before it is a chance for them to learn some of the repertory and for them to learn some of the history behind this piece. This is a piece that has artistic uh inspiration from several centuries It was Based on poetry from the 17th century, music from the 18th century, and then choreography from the 20th century. So, um, they're getting to learn about all of these elements and and learn poetry that they may not know and hear this wonderful music. So it's you know in that way I think it really is an invitation to to be a lifelong learner to think about. Parkinson's or other chronic conditions, not as the end of the road in any way, but as an opening as what we started talking about, right, this Mm -hmm. sense of possibility, it's opening the door to, you know, I can't change the fact that I have Parkinson's, but I can change all of the other inputs that I'm getting to be able to support myself as a as a human, and you know, dance, music, and art are very much a part of the human condition. So, as much as we can share and invite people into that world, um, the the more we're fostering a process of learning that goes on throughout the lifespan.
0: Oh yes, and that's—I mean—that's the whole point, right? If we're alive, it's good to keep evolving, keep moving, and and it's just everything's a different phase, and we learn more about ourselves, and we just keep growing. In different ways we never even thought possible. That's really good. Wow. So what would you say to listeners now? Let's say I would imagine people listening, If uh, they probably know at least one person, right? One person that has Parkinson's in their life. So what would you recommend for people that are thinking, okay, what's the next step? Where should we go with this information?
1: It's a great question. I mean, there are a couple of ways to to start to explore the possibility of bringing dance into your life or theirs. The first is just to have a conversation with them and to say, "Hey, I maybe even remember you dancing. You know, when you were when you were younger, or remember you dancing at a wedding. Do you, it seems like you you might actually enjoy that." Um, it, we offer a number of resources on our website that are free of charge, including a number of free classes that are on demand, so you can just. Actually try out a couple activities. Maybe invite that person and say, you know, do you want to just do some movement together for a few minutes? I have this video here. Let's, let's try this. This looks kind of fun. And just sit next to the person and, and try it together. See if they actually enjoy it. If that feels too contrived, uh, a lot of people will actually just start with some really basic partner dancing at home. Putting music on that they like and just trying like a really, don't even have to worry about what style or what pattern? Just moving to the rhythm, moving to the beat. Mm-hmm. It's something that we kind of do naturally—is tapping our feet to the rhythm. So, just a very gentle kind of improvised experience with music that you know that person loves, um, and and that can just be an invitation to say, "Hey, want to let's let's move again? Let's dance a little bit to this. We're going to put some music on. Let's try this." And that can be an invitation then to say to the person, "Hey, and you know, notice you kind of enjoy that. Do you know that there's a class or a program specifically for people living with Parkinson's to to learn to dance and to learn, uh, you, you know, dance movement and and to experience the joys of moving to music? Is that something you might be interested in? I think that's a nice soft approach because you don't want to force anyone into the to the program, but <laughs> it it's um it it can be a gentle way. Some people definitely have a uh kind of a predisposed fear of the word dance. They think that it means they're going to be pressured or they're they're going to be made to do something they don't want to do, or they're going to be on the wrong foot. And I think, you know, we all, we all dance at some point in our lives. Some of us just travel a long way from that land and we have to be given some, some uh, guided pathways back to, to that, that country. And, uh, but dance is a resource for all of us. We all, as, as, as humans, we all dance and we've all danced as, as young people. So the question is, why did we stop? You know, who told us we had to stop dancing?
0: I it's, don't know. we got to change so that. The, yeah, let's that. change that. <laughs>
1: right. It's not so much the question of like, why should I start dancing? It's why did you stop dancing? Cause you know, you look at kids dance and there's, there's very little inhibition and, and it, It's, you know, there's not a lot of concern about right or wrong and there's a freedom and, and yet they're musical and they're creative and they're using your imagination. So, you know, that's really what um, we're all born with. And the question is, how do we come back to that? I also like to remind people that in a lot of, a lot of culture, there's, there's no separation between art and health. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot yeah. of cultures have built rituals of health and healing around the art forms of dance and music, in particular. Yes. Uh, when you look at indigenous cultures, Native American cultures, uh, cultures from a number of communities in uh, in parts of Africa, you see that dance and music are they're, they're this, they form the social fabric, but they're also part of the healing fabric Mm -hmm. of that community. Um, so I guess my question is why, why don't we do that? Why have we drifted away from that and separated medicine from art? Because really they, they belong together and, and more and more, uh, physicians are recognizing that they're bringing Mm -hmm. art into healthcare settings, whether that's paintings, you know, that are on the wall, whether that's live music in the lobby of the hospital, whether it's a dance class that they're, that they're referring people to. So, um, you know i i know there can be hesitation around dance but really dance is part of us it is wired within us as humans and we are all we all have the right to experience that it is not some special elite form that is only available to a few it is available and part of all of us
0: Definitely. Oh, thank you so much for that. And I think as just you were saying in the very beginning is that this is about expression. So if I think if people more think about expression, and maybe like, I don't want to express myself in front of a lot of people. So just even at your own home, expressing yourself, it's not about getting the right steps. It's just connecting with the music Connecting with your body and having that expression. And then the moment you can actually do that with other people around that may turn into friends, community, it just grows from there. I mean, if you think about a wedding, think about weddings. All over the world, weddings have dance because they're connecting, they're celebrating. It's just, it is who we are. It's You know, people get away from it. And I think maybe they're just intimidated by uh, a structured dance. But from what you're saying, it's like, nope, everybody's welcome. Everyone has different abilities, and we can all move because that's what we're here for, expression.
1: So exactly good. right. That's <laughs> exactly right. And I, I, I don't draw a line between sort of the in-studio or group class experience and the at-home experience. In fact, we, we have a series of instructional videos on DVD and on demand that you can do at home just by yourself with, with some of our teaching artists. And a lot of people use that as a way of starting to get into the idea of dancing. And then from that, they, they end up seeking a a group class because they've enjoyed that so much. So, you know, there, there are many ways, many pathways in to, to Mm -hmm. dance, but I think um, I think there just finding the right connection and the right uh, Mm -hmm. motivation can be really, really helpful.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, thank you so much, David. Can you tell us um, just real quick before we go, um, you said you had a lot of resources. So what is the website that people can find everything?
1: Sure. People can find out about local and online classes as well as our at-home videos or DVDs at uh, danceforpd.org. It's just spelled out danceforpd.org um and on there you'll find a list of classes, resources, training. Uh if you are out there and you have a dance background and you're interested in getting into this work, please feel free to contact us. Um it's also the place where we have links to our daily free Zoom classes. So if you're interested in in that, you'll you'll find a link there. We also list a lot of the research that's been done on dance and Parkinson's right on that site. So if you're interested in more of the scientific background to this work, you can, you can dive into that. We just try to provide as much information as we can.
0: Wow, that is so wonderful. I am very happy we came to this land, David. And I imagine a lot of our listeners are just very excited to maybe take the next step for a loved one that they know. So thank you so much for inviting us to dance for Parkinson's.
1: Well, thanks for visiting this land. And I hope that uh, when you take back souvenirs, one of those souvenirs you take back with you is a, is a love for dance. And maybe another one would be putting on some great music and just allowing yourself to move to it and seeing what happens.
0: Oh, wonderful. Wonderful advice. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Thanks so much, Denise.
0: Thanks for joining the Passionate Health Advocate Show with your host, Denise DeShuttler. Like what you hear? then subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.